There's no way to wake America up unless the church wakes up first.
Take, for example, Old Testament Israel, who on numerous occasions found themselves on their collective knees seeking God for the forgiveness of their sins and to deliver their, them from their oppressors. The, the difference here, however, is that we are not Israel. We are not a nation who, for the most part, historically, saw only one pathway out of bondage and persecution. A pathway that was typically mapped out by a prophet of God seeking, speaking the word of God. And that word to that nation was usually the word repent. Our nation, on the other hand, currently suffers from a catastrophic case of multiple personality disorder. A disorder that in large part does not recognize God as the answer to our national ills. This disorder is compounded by the fact that those who do recognize God, the American church have failed to see that the one and only hope for our nation doesn't lie first in voting in more conservative politicians with more palatable policies. Rather, the Church of America needs to heed the words written down by the prophet Haggai. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. America needs men and women of God to once again lay out a pathway for our declining nation. We need men and women of God to boldly, emphatically, unapologetically speak the word of God and it alone. Amen. And that word needs to be the same word that the prophets of old spoke to wayward Israel and that word is repent. Amen. Wow, did amens go south then. <laughs> totally tanked across the whole building. Did you hear that? Oh, amen. Oh, we need you. Yeah, okay, we got to repent. Oh, I think they need repent. That's what it's like, man. You're just get sucked out of the building. America needs men and women of God to lay out that pathway. And again, that word, that message of repentance must first be delivered inside the doors of our churches before it can be effectively delivered to the world. The world, incidentally, perfectly, has little to no intention on darkening the doors of our churches. Why? Because the doors of our churches are so dark. The same churches that are occupied by countless believers who with their eyes wide open are swimming in, are blissfully drowning in apathy. Ezekiel chapter 12. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not. Who have ears to hear, but hear not. For they are a rebellious house. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Remember, mm. this is the key to understanding so much of Scripture. You remember this. What he just said in Ezekiel 12, that's to, that's to his people, not the, not the lost. Mm. Now, the repentance of an entire nation, as previously mentioned, is not a new thing. 
This admittedly idealistic concept has been done before. Again, in Israel. Take, take Nehemiah's prayer of repentance, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 1. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. About Daniel's prayer of repentance in Daniel chapter 9. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Our Ezra's prayer in Ezra 9, I am too ashamed and disgraced my God to lift up my face to you, because our sins are higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached the heavens. That's just to name a few. But there is hope in all of this hopelessness. Are you glad yes. that there is hope yes. in the hopelessness? Yes. There's light in the darkness. Yep. And we find that hope in what is arguably some of the single most known and oft-quoted scripture in all of the Old Testament canon. Look to the screen as we read it, beginning in verse 11 of Second Chronicles chapter 7. Now, we're going to do a little autopsy here. Okay? So hang with me. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house was successfully accomplished. I see that's really important. That's important to understand those statements. Solomon set out to build the house of God and one for himself. It's not, it's not good enough to just come and have church in our favorite worship traditions. Our families have always done it. It's not enough to come to church, beautiful edifice, go there, do your due diligence and leave. Amen. Because that suggests that you have not done all you needed to do to your house. Yeah. Here's the problem. If you want, if you want to do something for the Lord's house, and I don't mean put pictures up and do paint jobs, that's what we're doing right now. Because you're an ugly girl needs to make up. Bottom line is just coming here and just going out and having done nothing at all to further the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God in yourself. That's not enough, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. You have to work on your house. Because if you'll work on your house, then you can accomplish things in the house of God. Amen. Solomon did both. He had the resources to do both. And he worked on his house as well as the house of the Lord. Now this gets really interesting because the next word in this scripture is the word then. And this is an incredibly important conversation that the Lord is about to engage in. He says, then, after Solomon's house had been worked on and built, everything he desired to accomplish, he did in his house. Well, everything that he desired to accomplish in the Lord's house was done too. Those things were done side by side. And the Lord shows up and he decides to go into this conversation with Solomon and he says, the Bible says, then the Lord appeared to Solomon. Did you notice that the job was done when the Lord showed up? You catch that? Then uh, the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, now listen to what he says here. This is, this is a, a covenant he's cutting with Solomon and the kingdom of Israel. I have heard your prayer. 
and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. That's the agreement right there. He says, you've done a great job. And I'm choosing this place now. I'm choosing this place for me. For what? This is really cool church with the hippest lights and music. No. He said for a place of sacrifice. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, when we talk about worship, we're technically talking about sacrifice. When there's a sacrifice, things typically die. Amen. You catch that? How often are you dying in your service to the Lord? How often are you climbing up on the altar of God and being a living sacrifice, as the New Testament says, holy and acceptable unto God? See, the house of God is a place for sacrifice, not a place to look at the other person, see if their their clothing is right, or they're from the right social economic status, or if the music was good, or man, they were really bad today. Man, I hated it. The, the pastor was not nailing it all. I'm sorry. That's not church. That's not Christianity. That's not kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not our individuals climbing on altars and becoming living sacrifices and praying to
Now, I love this last line. I love it. He said what he's going to say to Solomon. He's got it on the table. And he says, Now, my eyes are open. My ears are attentive. I'm going to hear your prayers. And you may in this place. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our salvation. Yeah. I'm going to do a perfect. Just go ahead and laugh at yourselves. It's okay. Point at each other and go, You ugly. <laughs> Point at somebody and say it, you know, you want them. I dropped it in your heart, you're like, you love me. The thing about the person you just told you love me, they go, you love me too. But the reality is, when you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He indelibly imprinted you with His blood. Redemption was established by the cross. Salvation came by us acknowledging the fact that the redemptive story is there and in place and will never be moved. And when we say, I need what that redemptive plan, I need what you did, he goes, guess what? You're mine. Amen. Hallelujah. And we're back to Solomon. (laughs) But the thing about that salvation is this. The thing about that salvation is, is when you when you decide to get prideful, when you decide to turn from me, when you decide to do these terrible things and stop seeking, stop seeking me, you stop praying. Oh, I'm too busy. Work has been too much. School's been too much. Oh, my marriage is blah blah blah. All this that and when all that happens and things go bad on you because I'm going to send. Uh, there's going to be no rain. That's the Holy Spirit. And all that, he said, but now, because I've already established who you are in me, and you're going to be a sacrifice in me, I've selected you. I'll hear your prayer when you want to come back. Mm-hmm. You know what's got to happen? we got to come back. Amen. We've got to acknowledge the fact that we are the ones messing things up. And we have to come back in light of all these words. It must be settled then that if taking America back to God is the goal, then taking America God uh, back to God has precious, precious little to do with politics, with pundits, and with parties. Taking America back to God isn't about taking America back to one's preferred political party. They are entrenched in political doctrines that focus on getting reelected and not on revival. Taking America back to God is about merely taking America back to conservative principles. Conservative principles alone won't change the heart of a nation, much less the church. Taking America back to God isn't about taking America back to the United States Constitution. As wonderful a document as it is, it is not the Word of God. And taking America back to God is about taking America back to the founders. Thank God for them. Taking America back to God is, however, about, wait for it, suspense. (laughs) Actually taking America back to God.
is how we take America back to God. Yeah. Amen. It's on us. Yeah. More than a few Bible scholars and theologians believe that the seven churches of Asia Minor represent seven different periods in of time throughout church history. And that the church of Laodicea, the last of the seven, represents the period of church history that we currently occupy. That the Laodicean church represents our current place in church history. Now, with that in mind, listen to how the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, views this church, our church. Now hear this. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And in the next two verses, the Lord goes on to say that in light of this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now listen to how he concludes this statement. Those whom I love, I rebuke. So be earnest and repent. We go right back to Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm chosen this place, but when you do these things, I'll be here to hear you when you want to repent. He counsels his church, this church, the modern church, our period in church history, to buy from him what through him we should already possess. But don't. As a hush falls over the crowd. Seven times in seven letters to seven churches, the Lord ended each letter with the same message. He who has an ear, let it hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, here's the $64,000 question, Ron. Are we the same? So back to our text. What does our text have to do with taking America back to God? Like in the case of Laodicea, it is as though the Lord was saying to his people through the prophet Haggai, I know your works. Listen. Haggai 1. You have so much and hearts little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never had your fill. You clothe yourselves with no one's warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And the prophet Haggai goes on in verse 9 and says, You looked for much and behold it came to little. And when you brought it, brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew. And the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills. And on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth. On man and beast and all their labors. Guys, I don't know about you, but that stinks. His house lies in ruins. No, not physical ruins. That's not what we're talking about. Spiritual ruins. I know. I get it. I've got it. That's hard to hear. I know. 
it's hard to accept. Because I know it's most of you are thinking, well, what do I do? What did I do so well? I don't understand that. I mean, let's be honest with you. How is that even remotely possible? How is what I'm saying even remotely possible, seeing that we are so blessed and highly favored? I get it. I promise you I get it. I get it because, after all, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. I mean wealth. Doesn't wealth just mean that God's blessing, right? That's what it means. It's just God blessing. And because I've got all this wealth, I don't need anything. Wealth isn't the problem. It never has been. God, throughout all of history, has used wealth and wealthy people to accomplish as well. Wealth isn't the problem. It's the idea of not needing anything because of the wealth. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's the problem. Not needing a thing. Including his power and his presence and his word. In closing, I would be remiss. I would be delinquent in my duty if I did not conclude this message with this. America and the world is on an unavoidable, unstoppable, unalterable collision course with the immutable, that is unchanging, eternal will of Almighty God. It is written, and it is a reality that cannot be ignored and cannot be avoided. It is going to happen. The final and ultimate will of God is written in His Holy Word, will manifest at some point in the future, a point only known to God Himself. Whenever that is, there will be, at that time, no taking America back to God. At that point, when He decides to finish history, at that point, there will only be God taking back what is His. When He does that, when He returns, He will, hear me loud and clear, in part be coming back for a bride who is spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. So that He can present her to himself yes. as a radiant church without stain and without wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The gravity of the time in which we currently occupy, brothers and sisters of the church, must be viewed through eyes of genuine sobriety. Yes. Cannot be drunk with the things of this world, yes. you need to be sober to see what is happening in our world. And you need to get real with that fact. Amen. Now, as much as we like to attend our churches and fellowship with our brethren in our individual places of worship, in keeping with our individual worship traditions, hear me, brothers and sisters, this, what we're talking about tonight, isn't about churchianity. This is about Christianity in its truest form. This is about the kingdom of Almighty God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gravity of this reality must be viewed through eyes of genuine sobriety. I think Jesus said it best when he said, All authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Not some of it. Not most of it. All of it. Therefore, go, because of that, when you see the word therefore, brothers and sisters, look and see what it's there for. 
Because when it just became what came before the word therefore, that's why the person is saying, therefore, all authority is given to me. Therefore, because of this, go and make disciples of all nations. I think somewhere in the Word of God says something about swapping church members with the church down the road. I don't know. And one of the things, I'm stopping right here. I'm sorry. I don't know what time I'm supposed to get out of here. I'm not getting out of here soon. One of the things that completely drives me up the wall. Sheep swapping and church hopping. Come on. All right. You realize that sheep in the kingdom of God are the only sheep in any pasture that shoots their own shepherd? And if they don't like the shepherd this week, they're going to go somewhere else. Sheep try to do that in real pastures, they end up being coyote bait. Come on. And guess what? Most church hoppers are coyote bait. They don't know when to stop, settle down, and find a place to root in and groan in God. Instead, they want instead they want something to do. I'm sick and tired of this. When is when did when did it happen? John Paul, when did it happen that the church decided that it's a good idea to grow based on swapping other people around? Instead of going into all the world and preaching the gospel and taking people who are on a trajectory into eternal hell and save them and disciple them and make them people who are Brothers and sisters, I want you to look at me. That's of the devil. I don't care if you don't believe in Satan. I fight him. I know him. You want to figure out who Satan is? You get into a few bar brawls with him. Amen. Amen. You'll figure out he's real. Yeah. And if you're a person sitting here tonight going, I don't need to repent, you're one of the people he's got. That's right. You ain't helping anybody take America back to God. You're too self-involved, worshiping in the altar of yourself. Amen. It is high time that the church figures out that the gravity of this situation is about is one way or another. We're either going to take America back to God by ourselves repenting and broken hearts before Him, or we're going to be that seven million people taken out by some despotic, tyrannical Marxist point of reference. Get ready for it, ladies and gentlemen. You think that can't happen here? It is happening here. Amen. What's the only thing that's going to stop that freight train is repentance on behalf of the church. And Jesus said it best. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey some of what I've commanded you. The stuff that sounds good, feels good. Everything I've commanded you. And surely, we're going back to Second Chronicles 7, 7 again. I am with you always. The very end of the age. And again, he said this in Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Every preacher. We have to be a people. Come on who echoed the Apostle Paul when he said, I count everything. That's some things that I could let go of because, you know, I'm not really going to do that. I count everything's lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says that nothing is going to get in my way of knowing Him. Nothing. And again, he says in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Amen. I wonder if I take a poll right now. I know I'm going to stop. I just don't want to. 
What if I took a poll right now? How many people in this room right here would say, I'm not called to evangelism? The Holy Spirit just doesn't lead me to evangelize people. You want to ask Welcome to the team of not helping to take America back to God. Welcome. They're, they're, they're selling t-shirts in the North parking lot for that team. What about the gospel that he's not ashamed of? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. The Jew first and also to the Greek. I know, I don't know if anybody here follows Spider-Man or not, but I get out of Octavius being held the power of Sunday or the sun in the palm of his hand, but the children of God possesses the power of God on the tip of his tongue. Yeah, I get a distinct impression of half of these people did not even know who Paul Octavius was. Thank you. He, this guy right down front, he, he was a bad guy. That's what he said. That's three of us, Father. That's three of us right here. We have to repent. Our apathy, our blindness, and our deafness. And then we must be about the Father's business. Amen. Amen. Or we can forget about taking the earth back to God.
Don't you dare get into a place of office and say, I'm a Democrat. Don't you dare sell your soul to some pack who tells you what you're supposed to do. But you take the name of Jesus Christ into that place and you be a politician who is an unapologetic Christian. what I just told you. The second thing that we have to do, and I'm just going to say it, you hear it all the time, you have to vote. And when you get into the voters booth, we're seeing signs go up all over our community. People are running for office and we have a choice. Who should we vote for? People who stand for godly righteousness. Don't care about a political party. Don't vote for a Republican. Don't vote for a conservative because those titles don't carry it far enough. We have to vote for someone who is a follower, sold out disciple, who has surrendered himself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, Pastor, how do I know who to vote for? You can go on your search engine right now. I did it while I was sitting over here on the front pew, and I typed in Christian Voters Guide for Texas. That's all you have to put in. And there you're going to see a number of options that will give you ideas and direction on who you should be voting for. And now do this. Don't just take their word for it. Okay? Because we could be led astray even by these things. Go find out who the individual is. Read what they say they're going to do. Do everything in due diligence and make sure we're voting godly people in. The only way we can turn our nation is to put the righteous in place of leadership. I am so glad to be a part of this movement. I am sold out because I love the Lord and I love this country. And I want to see Jesus Christ honored in who we are and what we do. God bless you. Thank you for being here.
Will you enjoy the house tonight? I believe that God has spoken to his people in this place. Hey, if you couldn't, I'm sorry, this is an ugly crowd. And I almost made a mistake. God has a plan. And it's up to us to hear from him and do what he's telling us to do. Bring America back to God. Amen. Right, number one, each of you, I'm not supposed to preach, am I? Okay. The first thing he's calling is for each one of us to come back to God. I know we get a show of hands on who's been away for a while, or, you know, sometimes we're just getting Sunday, it's time for us to come back to God. When we do that, we bring the church back to God. When we do that, we bring America back to God. And that's the desire of this ministry, amen? It's, it's not a ministry, it's a revival. And we all need revival. Uh, I don't know who that speaker was, but I'd like to hire him as a bass player in my church. Fifty bucks a week, man. You don't have to be pretty. Let's pray. Oh yeah, we thank you for today. We thank you for our time together, and Lord, we thank you for the words that have been brought brought to us. And God, as we move from this place today, let us leave this place of different creatures. Creatures that desire a, a new fulfilling of the word of God in each of our lives. And that, Father God, as we move forward, we do it through the matchless love and grace that you have given us. So, Father God, we thank you. We pray your anointing, continued anointing on each of these leaders. And, Lord, on each of the workers that proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So, Father God, we do that in the matchless name of our Son, our Savior. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.